Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. It's Marathon Monday. If you love running, God love you. Not a fan. And Not a fan either. I could get a 0.0 sticker for my vehicle to show my disdain for the sport. That is not very nice to those people who have worked really hard and proudly stuck their 26.2 sticker on their car. But perhaps you've done something in your life that feels like a marathon to you. A mental, emotional, spiritual, personal marathon of sorts that isn't easily commemorated with a sticker. We'll give you a radio sticker for us. Text us your personal feat of daring do at 1-800-639-9120. That's 1-800-639-9120. And we'll celebrate you here on the air at the end of the show. I once actually found out how many licks it takes to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop. For me, it was 12,748 when I was nine years old. Results may vary. Coming up later in the show, how volunteering at a camp for kids with cancer and other serious illnesses helped set the Florence-based author and illustrator Jarrett J. Krasowska on his career path. His new graphic memoir about his time at camp is released tomorrow, and it's called Sunshine, and we'll hear about it later this hour. But first, space to boldly go where no man has gone before. Some more kitchen table astronomy at Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe's kitchen table in Amherst. Last week, Mr. Universe, my dad texted me specifically to ask about my injured finger, but then also said, that astronomer, I love him. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, my dad doesn't even compliment me on anything, so he he loves our chats. Uh, Well, thank you very much. And (laughs) and that does happen, by the way. Your parents actually always see, oh, that guy is good. (laughs) (laughs) What about me, Dad? What about me? Um, Today, we're talking about juice. Yes. So like Tang. Tang is the juice of astronomy, of course, because that's what astronauts drink. That's exactly right. Uh, Juice is not, we're not really talking about Tang. Right, just just, just to be clear about it. No, this is a really cool mission that got launched last Friday. Uh, This is a European Space Agency mission. So in case you haven't heard of it, because NASA has a pretty good publicity thing, European Space Agency doesn't. But this is a very cool mission. It's called JUICE because, again, they came up with a good acronym. It's Jupiter Icy Moon Explorer. Wait a minute. Moon is an M. Moons. Uh, And so multiple moons. It's not just going to one moons. And yes, no. Wouldn't it be Jime? (laughs) Jupiter Icy Moon Explorer says Jime to me. Is it in another language? No. uh, Well, no. Uh, It's the J and then uh, I. J U of Jupiter and then the ice. I see. Sheesh. We are going into the semantics part of it. Is Lizzo on this mission? She was on The Mandalorian. That's true. Yeah, no, uh, she's not. But so this mission, uh, it's a $1.6 billion. So it's not a small mission. And this is going to explore with juice the moons of Jupiter. So its primary target is not the planet itself, but some of its moons. Mm -hmm. And there's one moon in particular that people seem to be very interested in, Ganymede. Mostly when people think about Jupiter's moons, people think about Europa. And there is a NASA mission, Europa Clipper mission, that's going to be launched next year. Uh, But this particular mission by European Space Agency is in fact, in particular, going to Ganymede, but it's also going to have two flybys of Europa. Well, I mean, if you're the European Space Agency, you've got to visit Europa or else it's like, being in your hometown and not visiting your parents. That's true. But Hi, Dad. Do you love the astronomers still? <laughs> <laughs> but so let, so let me clarify what, what's cool about this. So I actually watched the live 
a launch of uh, of this juice mission from uh, the French Guyana. You're sitting there, you're watching it launch. I would love to go see it live yeah. also. But just think about it. Got all these instruments, the spacecraft. Uh, it has, I think, 10 instruments on it. And they put it on top of the rocket. This is, by the way, a similar rocket that took James Webb Space Telescope up as well from the same location. And then you launch it. And you see it, wow, very precise. They said it was delayed a little bit, but then it was like, you know, it's going to launch an Eastern time, 8.14 a.m. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, at 8.14 a.m., it launches. But when does it get to Jupiter? Well, July of 2031. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's so then, right. So why did it have to leave at exactly 8.14 on April, whatever it was on Friday? Well, that's what's the crazy part about these things is because it has to be very precise there are very specific launch windows but it takes a long time and this has a crazy trajectory because it's going to use what is called the gravitational assist from earth itself uh, but also from venus and then back to earth and then it's going to slingshot all of uh, its way to jupiter and that's how it works right it goes around the orbit and it's like a slingshot like I don't know if it's centrifugal force when it's, it's in outer space, but it like wraps around the orbit of the moon and then shoots out faster than it would have if it just straight launched, right? Right. I mean, it's the energy exchange. It gives some energy to Earth too, but Earth like, you know, doesn't happen much. But the energy it gives to the spacecraft, actually, it propels it outwards further. So think about it. People have to plan for it. And then, like, you know, that, okay, in 2031, it's going to get there. And first, it's going to take about 35 flybys, two of Europa, there will be 21 flybys of Jupiter's moon Callisto. Europa, we know. It's very, it's interesting because we know there is a liquid water ocean underneath. That water is salty as well. Europa, you have a sheet of ice that prevents the water from evaporating in some sense. And then underneath that sheet, you have liquid water. And underneath, you have volcanoes. And the reason why this is exciting is because these are the same conditions or similar conditions of underwater volcanoes here on Earth. And many people think actually life may have even started around these underwater volcanoes. And so you have organic matter, which is much, which is abundant in the universe. You have liquid water and you have energy source, which is heat. And so all the conditions that should lead are at least on Earth, it led to life, origins of life. So that's why there is a lot of excitement about at least Europa. But there is another moon of Jupiter. There are four big moons. Io, I've already mentioned, that's closest. Then you have Europa, and then you have Ganymede and Callisto. These are the four Galilean moons. Galileo observed them back in the 17th century. Just an old-fashioned telescope. Really old-fashioned. I mean, <laughs> the early, some of the earliest telescopes. Jupiter has a lot more moons. And in fact, recently they found 12 moons. So I think, I don't know, right now, I think that grand total is like around 85 or something. We like got that. ripped off. We only have one moon. But these big moons, you can see them through a small telescope. But Ganymede, that's the target. Because astronomers think that there is a liquid water ocean underneath Ganymede as well. And Ganymede is big. It's in fact bigger than Mercury. Uh -huh. And so it's a, it's a big moon. It's the only moon that we think of has its own magnetic field because it has a you know, molten iron core. It produces its magnetic field. And so JUICE mission, one of the things that it's going to do is to measure its magnetic field, look at its magnetic field, analyze it. Jupiter has magnetic field as well. So it's going to sort of like disentangle uh, between the two. But ultimately, what it's going to do is after multiple flybys of the three moons, Europa, it's going to make about 21 flybys of Callisto. If there are Callisto f uh, fans out there, 
it's not that exciting. <laughs> I mean, you know, we don't think there is liquid water erosion. There's still debate about it. So it may actually find evidence for liquid water erosion, but they think that more likely it's sort of like, you know, more dormant in that context. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit too far away from Jupiter to have ocean underneath. Uh, so, but it's still going to have 21 flybys, and this is the first time that's going to have that kind of observation from there. But then, I think a few years after doing all these flybys, it's going to set into orbit in December of 2034. So 11 years from now, and, and we can tell you, okay, December of 2034, it's going to get into orbit around Ganymede, roughly around 3,000 miles above, and then it's going to get tighter and tighter and tighter, and eventually it's going to go around to 300 miles, and it's going to make observations of Jupiter's moon, Ganymede. What it is looking at, we think that the ice sheet of Ganymede is thicker than that of Europa. It has a radar that can penetrate through ice, but only to 10 miles. But even that, astronomers expect that there are variations in the various ice sheets that are around Ganymede, so it may be able to map out the interior. Mm. And they think that there may be like different layers of oceans, and they think that there might also be a cryovolcanism, basically water coming out from underneath. There may be some spots. Europa certainly has that. And when it's going to be going over there, uh, fly, flying by Europa, if there are plumes coming out, it actually will probably pass through those plumes. But on Ganymede as well, it's going to try to map out, are there places where there are pockets of liquid water? And again, all of that we are looking at because the potential for life. There's no place on Earth where these conditions exist, even though at times in even Earth's history, it seemed like life could not thrive in these deep underwater volcanic vents. Life does exist. So the fact that these factors are all on these moons surrounding Jupiter is high potential. Yeah, and in fact, I would say that, especially for Europa, I would be far more surprised if there is no life than there is. Meaning to say the likelihood, and, and we're not talking about sort of like, you know, fish or complex. But wouldn't that be cool of, if Juice gets this radar image at Ganymede and they see like the Loch Ganymede monster under the ice, huh? <laughs> That'd be amazing. Well, there have been spacecraft before like Galileo that have actually gone around, although not as close to it. Uh, but yeah, that would be cool or... I guess polar bears won't be on that surface. That I would be know. pretty hard. Polar bears are scary here, so. But we don't know what's underneath. I mean, in some sense, you have a system. We don't know if it's an ecosystem that has biology or not that has thrived. Especially, again, I go back to Europa where the likelihood is more for potential of life. We don't know what's underneath the ice sheet. And so you can have species that are there. And again, on Earth, for several billion years of our planet's history, we only have had microbial life. That was on top of the food chain. So it's pretty likely that you, know, that you have an ocean that has a lot of microbes in there because all the conditions are there, but may not have developed into complex life forms. Or maybe things like tiny little fish or the ocean plants. It's a possibility. We really don't know. And that's where your NASA's Europa Clipper mission comes in. That's going to launch next year, but it's going to get to 
Jupiter actually a little bit before Juice. Uh, they have a stronger rocket that's sending it over there. <laughs> it's going to get there in 2030. And that is going to, again, look around Europa. And it's really going to figure out potential landing sites for future missions. Juice is also going to help with that. Wasn't there science fiction warning us not to land on Europa? Arthur C. Clarke warned us in, I think, 2010, in which he said, all bodies, all solar system bodies are yours, except Europa. Attempt no landing there. I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. And of course we have to go do it. And you know who's not doing that? The Europeans. <laughs> They're going like, we'll, we'll make an attempt. Well, eventually, like, you know, get a bit. Europa. No, they took Arthur C. Clarke seriously. We have not. But in all of that, I should end with a bit of a caution and a bit of so, something that actually worries me when I read about that. And the question is, how do you end a mission? And so the Galileo spacecraft that orbited over there was eventually crashed into Jupiter because we did not want to contaminate places like uh, Europa, but certainly, but also like Io, because we know life can exist actually in near volcanoes as well, certainly Ganymede as well. And uh, the Clipper mission is also intended to crash into Jupiter eventually at the end of it, because after the fuel is over, we don't just want to leave it sort of like in an uncontrolled orbits because it can end up in there. And we try very hard, and astronomers or scientists try very hard to decontaminate them. But these critters, they can be sort of like really resilient because we know they can, some of them can survive interstellar space as well. So we just don't want to take that risk. To so if one microbe exists on JUICE or on the Clipper mission and goes onto Europa or onto Ganymede, it could in a billion years have seeded life from Earth, essentially, as opposed to watching life organically grow up on its own from somewhere else. Or taking over the life form, like, you know, that is over there. The prime directive is not a matter of degrees. It is an absolute. What we do today may profoundly affect the future. If we could see every possible outcome, we'd be gods, which we're not. So there are these effects we often think so in terms of reverse planetary defense where we don't want Earth to be contaminated by. There is a lot of issues regarding bringing samples back from Mars. And there is a lot of debate about how to do it safely. But same thing goes when spacecrafts do landing. Say, for example, on Mars or these type of missions, there's a lot of concern about introducing Earth microorganisms. But the end of JUICE mission right now is expected to actually crash into Ganymede. I was actually surprised when I read that, and they said that unless they do find some stronger hints that there might be life, then they are going to change the trajectory and try to actually, so they will have to save a lot of fuel to actually exit the orbit around Ganymede to go and crash into Jupiter. But right now, as far as I can tell, the plan is that eventually it's going to crash into Ganymede, they think, because the ice sheet is so thick. That's my only concern. But other than that, really cool mission. So keep following it and watch for our follow-up to this uh, conversation in 2031. <laughs> I hope I still have a show then. <laughs> Thanks again to Mr. Universe Amherst, Dr. Salman Hamid. Coming up, Florence-based author and illustrator Jarrett J. Krasowska and our collective nostalgia for local food chains. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. 
Welcome back to the fabulous 413. Tomorrow on the show, Pizza Quest Volume 3. We'll dive into the pies from Betty's Pizza Shack in Lenox. And today it's Marathon Monday. I have never nor will ever run a marathon, but I've endured some personal marathon-esque experiences. Have you? I once came up with a song for my kids to learn the entire presidency of the United States in order. It's not like it's that many, but come on. I want a sticker. Text us and tell us one of your proudest physical, mental, emotional, spiritual feats at 1-800-639-9120, and we'll give you the radio equivalent of a 26.2 sticker for your car. But let's see if we can get this thing to work. Monty? Oh, there we go. Hey. I don't know if if I sound okay to you. Yeah, you sound yeah. good. Especially because oh, you're in a car on the Mass Pike, right? Hey, well, I'm at the Wilbraham uh, rest stop. <laughs> <laughs> It, 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 this is like this. This is like the saddest rest stop because it's like, I mean, there's I guess there's a Starbucks now, but like sorta. That's the one with like it's just got a Starbucks and just a like a McDonald's or the McDonald's is across the street, so they don't even have that. It's just like the Gulf and the one. one the Starbucks. McDonald's is across the street, and yeah. you do you do <laughs> see what looks like maybe used to be a McDonald's drive-through window, right? Yeah. yeah, and you just wish you could drive through. Not you just... wish you just could. I mean, at least there's a Papaginos, I guess. Papa Gina's? Yeah. Is, the, is it still real or is it like a shell and they haven't really filled anything in? No, it's a real Papa Gino's. <gasps> I mean, it's funny. You can still get them on the Mass Pike. You, you, you know, it's you can't get them anywhere, you know, in regular places. But, oh, uh, man. I don't want to have to like pay to get to a Papa Gino's <laughs> to get Papa Gino's pizza so I can feel nostalgic on uh, this side of, of Worcester. That's not okay. I mean, also, like, you probably shouldn't have to pay to eat Papa Gino's pizza, but there you go. I mean, well, there are way worse pizzas. We can add them to yes, the pizza are. quest. No, we have to pay to get there. Oh, That's yeah. ridiculous. You're right. You're right. Like, well, I'm not goes, saying that Papaginos is great Papa pizza. Gino's sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> if they still had a spot in Northampton, I would worry. But like, full disclosure, yeah, well, Papaginos you know, Papa is not an underwriter of New England public media. Yeah, <laughs> Papaginos is passionate about one thing: it's it's factory pizza and public media. <laughs> <laughs> would I eat Papaginos before Domino's? Yes, I'm disparaging. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah, that's like, would you eat food before cardboard? There goes the Domino's. <laughs> I mean. I went back to Domino's. It was a late night. Bob Kraskowski, the filmmaker, ordered pizza at a party we were at, and I ate the Domino's, and I was like, yeah, this isn't good, even if David Chang thinks it's the best mass-market pizza. It's just not that good. I mean, there's not a whole lot of other options for mass-marketed pizza, and frankly, if like I'm supposed to avoid the noise, I'm doing it by disparaging Domino's on this, <laughs> on this show. Annoyed <laughs> hates hot-quality pizza. I'm sure people of a certain generation know, like, and if you eat Pizza Hut, you buy Pizza Hut by reading books. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Book it. Yes. <gasps> I used to, it. I love that. I loved Pizza Hut pizza back then. I don't know. Maybe oh, I, mean, I, I haven't then, had it in a long could, time. So It was a sit-down restaurant. You'd yeah. go with your family. You would sit down. You'd have those red plastic cups. Yeah. Yes. And they had nothing to do with Taco Bells at the time. No. Now they're a Pizza Hut. <laughs> They are a Taco Bell. They're you know at the song? Combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. All right. I'm at the Combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. Now that we got Pizza Hut and Taco Bell and all that out of the way and books with Book It, it's time to start our actual conversation with Jared J. Krasoska from Florence, Massachusetts, who tomorrow will be releasing his second graphic memoir. His first, Hey Kiddo, was shortlisted finalist for the National Book Award and chronicled his life, 
growing up as a child of uh, addiction in Worcester, Massachusetts, being raised by his grandparents and how the power of drawing sort of rescued him from that situation. And Sunshine picks up where Hey Kiddo left off in a lot of different ways. Is that correct there, JJK, Jarrett J. Krasoska? I think it would be more accurate to say that the events of Sunshine are actually embedded within the timeline of Hey Kiddo. Uh-huh, okay. So, um, you, yeah, you probably don't know this because we haven't caught up in a while. You've been so busy building a podcast empire at NEPM. So, we have uh, a radio show, too. It is also radio, good old-fashioned radio. It's on radio first, and then it evolves into podcast form. Well, I just love that I can continue to take you both with me wherever I go as I travel across the country. Aww. Have you right there in the pod. We love um, so, rich, so, so Sunshine is about my, you know, it's about my time volunteering at a camp, working as a counselor for children with serious illnesses like cancer. And initially, that was a chapter in an early draft of Hey Kiddo. Ah. And it was quite literally this 100-page detour that, had a whole beginning, middle, and end that had nothing to do with the plot of Hey Kiddo. And, and my editor said, you know, this this doesn't really belong in this book, but let's take it out. And maybe someday it'll be a second book. So you could read Hey Kiddo up until, oh, I think it's around page 263 or so. Stop. Read all of Sunshine, which is clocks in at about 240 pages. And then read the, the last 80 so pages of Hey Kiddo. So this is like Rogue One, sort of, or, or like what, what do you some... call a sequel that takes place smack in the middle of the first? Yeah, cover. we need to come up with some language to because especially Mid-quel? especially with all these weird uh, you know these intellectual properties that continue to mess up with timelines. I mean, generally, you call it an aside, interior aside. I like that. Yeah. But I like you just said midquel. I think that would be a good way to call it midquel. <laughs> midquel, however, also sounds like like something you take for colds. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think that's my call Michael Jackson guy. It, it's, oh. it's the nighttime sniffling, <laughs> sneezing, coughing, aching, stuffy head fever, so you can die medicine. And we have been derailed Don't by take a it on your world tour again. <laughs> speaking with, as you can see, why my editor has his hands full when I'm like, here's this whole other. 200-page story for Chapter 9. <laughs> and the book, there is a lot. It's very fun and beautifully illustrated, mm-hmm. as usual, um, by you, Jarrett. But there is a lot of, of heaviness that goes on there. So talk to us about Camp Sunshine, either a, a hybrid between what's true in the book uh, versus what was true in your life, I guess. Let's focus on the book and not have to sure. get too much into the weeds. But the, a lot of what is in the book is actually what happened to you, including uh, you had, like, permission to focus specifically on a character that was very meaningful to you. Yeah, so so Sunshine is about that first week that I volunteered to work at a camp for, for kids with cancer and uh, had a just profound impact on my life. And quite it quite literally changed the direction of my life. You know, So I was 16 at the time, uh, you know, had a lot of anger about my mother's addiction to heroin and, and the situation I had been in. At the time, I remember I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to do these like really intense superhero comics when I grew up. And there I was now working with kids. And and in large part, because of my work at this camp, I set off to write and illustrate books for kids. And, and so that it's it's every every bit my origin story as as Hey Kiddo was and, and you know, servitude and being in, in volunteering, being in service to others is is such a huge part of how I became who, who I am. And, you know, the difference with Sunshine versus Hey, hey Kiddo and 
you know, Sunshine, the main character is sort of like observing what other people are going through versus going through it himself. And uh, Camp Sunshine itself, the real place, as in, in the book, it's, it's in Maine and it's a camp for children with life threatening illnesses and their families. In this situation, in this camp, the entire family goes. It's a retreat for the, the parents have retreats, the, the, you know, the, the siblings have special events as well. And um, you're assigned one family for the week, like that's who you have meals with. But then during the day, you have the group you're assigned with. So for me, at 16, I was assigned to work with a teen group, which I was not expecting. You know, I was expecting to not have campers that were so close in age. But I was charged with taking care of a, a young man who uh, had brain cancer and was in a wheelchair and had a lot of uh, physical mobility issues because of the brain cancer uh, you know so everything that takes place in the book sunshine happened now i did that the, the, like those those main characters like the eric and his family and and the boy who i named diego in the book like those those that those are real situations now i continued to work at therapeutic camps for a number of years after that a number of years back to camp sunshine even more years at the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp, where I was a, a, an employee for, for six full summers and a volunteer for another four summers. And so I did pull in some of the um, emotions or campers or specific situations from those events, being that, I, you know, I have to treat this like this is going to be my one time to write about a camp for children with life-threatening illnesses. Like I don't, I don't foresee there being like a series that would follow like to detail every single summer I, <laughs> I get to work with these kids. Um, and so, you know, that's the thing about memoir versus autobiography. You know, autobiography is like this is a factual record of what happened. And, and with a memoir, you can take liberties in 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 moving some situations around in regards to timeline, but. All of the all of the events and all of the emotions are completely true, um, and, and like you said, be, because I'm still in touch with Eric's family, um, his name and likeness is there as, as well as his mom and siblings. There's a few other families that I'm still in touch with from those early years, and uh, with their permission as well. And um, and and because of time moving on, and uh, e even with social media, I just was not able to get in touch with some of the other families I, I was friends with then and took care of kids I took care of. So uh, the character of Diego is, is the name that was made up for the book to respect HIPAA laws and the privacy of, of the, the family, even even if, you know, there's even if there's no one to be tracked down, like still respecting uh, what I signed up for, which was to tend to these families and respect their privacy with their permission. Coming up, more with the Florence-based National Book Award finalist Jared J. Krasowska on his book Sunshine, chronicling his time volunteering at a camp for kids with cancer. Camps like Camp Sunshine hit surprisingly close to home for this show. Find out why coming up. And it's Marathon Monday. Whether you, whether or not you've run the actual Boston Marathon, I definitely have not. Perhaps you've endured your own personal marathon-esque event. I drove to Minneapolis in a day. I don't advise it. But what's <laughs> yours? Text us and tell us about it, and we'll give you the audio equivalent of a 26.2 sticker for your car. Or, you know, 26.2 stickers in case that's your thing. Right. 1-800-639-9120. That's 1-800-639-9120. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on on NEPM. 
We're speaking with Jarrett J. Krasowska, the Florence-based author and illustrator, who you may know from its extremely popular Lunch Lady series of <laughs> graphic novels, as well as uh, Jedi Academy, which he wrote for many years. The Punk Farm books is how far I go back with uh, my friend <laughs> JJK. And uh, we have somebody with us whose life has been touched by a camp very similar to the one depicted in your new graphic memoir, Sunshine, and it's our very own Khalees Smith from the Fabulous 413. <laughs> yeah. No way. Yeah, so I started reading this, and I didn't know what the book was going to be about initially, and then like very, very quickly went, oh, my sister went to one of these, because my now second youngest sister, because my youngest sister is just turning 21, but like, my sister Samantha, and I asked her before we went on air if I could share some of these things, went to one of these in Maryland since she had a childhood cancer uh, stomach-based. She's fine now. She's clearly fine now. She's in her 30s. But she and my youngest brother, Matthew, went to a camp, which at the time I was like, is it Camp Friendship? Sam, is it Camp Friendship? And she's like, yeah, it's Camp, camp Friendship. You remembered correctly. So I was asking her like, what some of her memories about being there was were. And she was like, first of all, shout out to Carol, the Carol Jean Foundation, which is the one that ran Camp Friendship where she was. But one of the things she mentioned specifically about that one is that the the kids who were sick and their families got to go for free, but they specifically were working with folks who were underserved, underrepresented, like underprivileged families who were going through chemo with their kid yeah. and got to go to Camp Friendship and and be just normal kids for a while for like a couple of weeks at a time. They didn't take full families like Camp Sunshine did, but with siblings, definitely. And one of the things she mentioned is like, she got her fear of horses from it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not an intentional side effect, <laughs> but it definitely happened. But yeah, it was, it was interesting to read how like, how much of a breath of fresh air it ended up being for these families, because I remember that being the case for Sam every time she would come home or that she was getting ready to go to Camp Friendship, like how excited she was and how much of a good time she had just not worrying about all of the medical part of what she was going yes. through. <laughs> yeah, and, and time certainly operates differently when you're at camp, and I'm sure your sister experienced this too, where you know, you're there for, say, five days or, or two weeks, and yet you come out of it feeling like you've known these folks for a lifetime. Yep. She's still in contact with a couple of the counselors, she says. So, And I don't want to That's spoil beautiful. the book, but there is a, you. not only are we writing about teenage Jarrett J. Krasowska in the book, uh, and it's worth it for the actual photo of Jarrett J. Krasowska dressed as uh, Ace Ventura Pet Detective <laughs> alone. The price <laughs> of the book worth it just to see that one picture. But uh, a much more, an older Jarrett J. Krasowska uh, appears at the at the end of this book as well. It, it really kind of brings us up into your life as a professional author and illustrator and you're using like the power of illustration as a superpower to the to a certain extent while interacting with these kids that have these tremendously difficult diagnoses one of, one of the reviews that i'd never really thought of this before but you know when i when i went to camp a lot of the, the way that i would break the ice with these campers i would draw for them all the time and you know, one review is like, oh, like that's that was Jared's first taste of having his work published, of, of getting that <laughs> of entertaining and, and getting the attention for for what he was doing. And um, 
Yeah, yeah, and and the Ace Ventura that I there's some of the kids thought I was really him. It's <laughs> a pretty good impression. Are you gonna do your impression of Ace Ventura now? Oh no! Okay. Also, Even though that sounds like I was gonna break into it. <laughs> oh no, I'm not. Also, <laughs> how does it feel that your first jury was was a pile of kids at a summer camp? You know, I, I used to be terrified of public speaking. Um, and of course, that's like a huge part of what I do for my work now is I to give lectures and talks. And that's why you're performing. at a rest stop on the pike right now after coming back from a lecture. <laughs> that's, I was like, I, I'm here at the rest stop to do a show. At the top of every hour. <laughs> In the old McDonald's parking yeah. lot. He'll do a caricature of you right next to the Papa Gino's. It's someone, some kid must be having a birthday party here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, and and my work uh, with kids at camp uh, broke me from that fear of public speaking. And, um, you know, I gained the courage to get up in front of a group of people and lead songs like like a song that you led with that you probably don't realize we used to sing at Hole in the Wall Gang Camp, which was a pizza hut, a pizza hut, Kentucky Fried Chicken and a pizza hut. And then there's and then there was one verse that went. About, you know, uh, Taco Bell and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We were singing stuff. another. What's the name of that? Das Racist? Yeah. Yeah. Das, oh. A, the, that's the name of the group. I don't think we're singing. I don't think we're no, singing. No, it's the name no, of the group. It's the name of the group. And, and <laughs> oh, it's, oh. It's, it's, we acknowledge it's a problematic yeah, name it, in some ways. Well, yes, but it, it, the, the people who are in it are, it's a Palestinian gentleman and, and uh, Boricua dude. So, yeah. like, it's, Got it. they've done it on purpose. <laughs> this is the most the derailed the conversation <laughs> we've had in the history of the Fabulous 413, and I love it. It's with Jared J. Krasowska. We're going to have so much B-roll for this. It's yes. awesome. The book, <laughs> the book comes out tomorrow, uh, April 18th, but the really fun part about uh, this release locally, it's Jared lives in Florence and right down the street at the Academy of Music in Northampton. Well, you will be presenting Sunshine live and unabridged, uh, presented by High Five Books, also in Florence. It will be a live dramatic reading of the graphic novel now i'm going to pretend like i don't know how this works or that i wasn't in the live dramatic readings for your hey kiddo book and that i won't be in the live dramatic reading for the one tomorrow night except that we've already said in the billboard that you are that i am uh but (laughs) for those who have never gone to a live dramatic reading of a graphic novel how does it work at the academy of music jjk well i mean this is something that i i did with hey kiddo and initially i thought okay i'll do it with hey kiddo we'll do it once and and we did it up at the shea and we had a you know a number of readers seated on stage, and everyone had different lines to read for the different characters, and then the art was projected onto the screen. And that one performance encouraged Scholastic to produce an audiobook of Hey Kiddo, which was which I got left first... out of because I didn't sound old enough to be your grandfather. <laughs> yes, you voiced the grandfather on stage, but it didn't quite work for the for the audiobook. And and so Hey Kiddo was one of the one of the first audio books of a graphic novel to be adapted to be an audiobook and it's like an, it's like an old stage play i mean old, old radio play where everyone's got different uh, different characters they're voicing there's you know uh, there's the theater of the mind with with sound effects and i had we were doing it more and more and i was before the pandemic hit i was readying something where a program where, where libraries or universities could host me and they would identify local speakers and uh the, you know the pandemic you know just cut any of those plans short and in a large way like you know we're hitting play after hitting pause for three years and so for sunshine i said to my publisher you know they want they're touring me on a book tour for this i was like i don't want to just like 
you know, be at a bookstore just reading like this is a moment to do something new. So not only am I doing this in Northampton, but I'm doing it six or seven days in a row with a different local cast every time in which we will read the entire book, the entire graphic novel. There will be 10 actors on stage. And I have this very intricate PowerPoint that pans and scans over the artwork with light animation here and there with sound effects embedded. And it is, it's, it's more like the, it's more like experimental theater than it is a literary event, I would say. Um, but you still get a sticker for your book at pin so you can get your pizza. Yes. Well, and what's cool about, you know, the difference is because now sunshine's new, you know, uh, there is a, um, you know, you have to purchase a ticket to, for the Academy music event, but really that, what that does is that buys you a book. So, um, every you know, for every time someone walks in to get a, a ticket scanned, they're going to be handed an autographed copy of Sunshine. And you don't even have to eat subpar pizza to get it. Right. It's great. No, and there's lots of options in downtown Northampton. <laughs> that wow. might be the only oh. options. <laughs> no, wow, we're really throwing down now. That, well, that made it. No, I meant like for pizza, not subpar pizza. <laughs> I don't know what I meant. Uh, uh, some of the event, though, it's uh, there is a card to culture program. Mass Cultural Council is uh, there are 10 seats at discounted prices for patrons with EBT yes. uh, and WIC. And so this they are trying to make it a really inclusive thing. So in one of the elements in sunshine is how much you carried your camcorder everywhere yeah and i wonder if these staged readings of your now graphic novels are sort of an evolution slash de-evolution of that you know you know as someone who creates a lot of content for online like video like tiktok and, and youtube and um a, a lot of my peers often wonder like I don't understand how you can do that. And, and I think in large part, it's because I had a camcorder at 14. You know, I'm, I'm 45 now. And I was always making videos with my friends and I would stack up VCRs and I would I would edit them. And um, to, to give you an, an understanding of how naive I was. So I, I had just begged and pleaded my, for my grand, with my grandfather for a camcorder. And and he finally got one for me. And he said, don't worry. Um, it didn't cost much because it fell off the back of a truck. And all I could think of was like, wow, it's in perfect working order. That's amazing. <laughs> it fell off the back of a truck and it still works. Um, if you go read Hey Kiddo and you'll have a better understanding of why that was normal in my home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I do think that having a camcorder and playing around with video there's definitely a direct connection to that and the performative nature in, in the way that I present my, my books. Um, you know, I, and, and I used that, that old footage, the old VHS footage, I digitized it. And that was my research for, for writing the book to remember those kids' voices and remember what that felt. And um, we're also going to be, uh, you know, the, the, the show will open and close with this multimedia collage video uh, that um, I've hired a friend of mine who I befriended on TikTok who, who does mixed media video work. And it's going to be a really powerful and, and beautiful way to open and close the show. The book, the graphic memoir, is called Sunshine. It's released tomorrow, a big special event locally with local author from Florence, Jarrett J. Krasoska, will be at the Academy of Music tomorrow at 7 p.m. for a complete reading of the entire book with multimedia. And the book, as we've mentioned, deals with uh, a camp that you volunteered at with kids with these uh, 
very tough diagnoses and in all different states of their treatment. Many of us have had to care for somebody in our family or someone we love who's going through something rough when it comes to an illness. Talk about why it was important for you and what you learned from spending time befriending and kind of befamilying, if that's even a word, somebody yeah. who was not part of your family who was going through such a, a difficult time. It wasn't a natural type of friendship. It was, you know, it was at a camp and these kids were at a camp for a reason. But what you, I'm assuming they and you got out of it, kind of changed your life. You know, it's that, that friendship and the understanding of, you know, for me as a kid, I knew what it was like to yearn for childhood during childhood because I was forced to grow up too quickly. Uh, and, and it's the same thing with these, these campers that were dealing with either their own cancer or the cancer of a sibling where, you know, there's, there's, there's certain thing, uh, maybe there's an unspoken thing when you're a young person and life hasn't been fair to you and you just understand each other. Um, you know, certainly my, my experience my, has shifted based on the fact that now that as a dad and as a parent myself, it's way heavier for me than it was then. You know, because back then I just figured, you know, we're there to have fun. This is going to be great. And that's exactly what we did. And, and you know, like my grandmother said to me in person, in real life, and then also at the beginning of the book of, isn't that just going to be really sad? Like, what is it, what does a camp for kids with cancer even look like? And it is really such a joyous, joy, joyous and life-affirming space and experience. And and you do become like this family. You do be, you you grow this surrogate camp family in that week, and um, you know the the events in this book take place in, in September of 1994. I'm like I said, I'm still in touch with a lot of those families. Some of those families are traveling to the Academy of Music to be in in the theater to, wow. for the book, Aww. and um, yeah, it's it's going to be a really powerful and emotional evening. There's a beautiful, accidental John Hughes-ish sort of nature to this book, too, because you talk about how the other kids who, the other high school kids from your school who go on this trip and how different you are at the beginning and then by the end, you're all like, wait a minute, you have records of this. We can go back and just kind of dig into those memories together. We, we six who have experienced the same thing. Did you keep in touch with any of them as well? Did they keep in touch I, with their families? Do you feel like your experience in doing that was singular? Um, from that first week, I am in touch with a, a few of those co fellow counselors that, that I went up with. Um, from my time at the Hole in the Wall game camp, uh, you know, I've been in their weddings and uh, they've been in my weddings. And, and, and wedding, uh, weddings, singular. Sorry, Gina, <laughs> They'll listening. be at your upcoming wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, they, again, it's that, you know, it's that powerful, intense experience that you have in a very condensed amount of time. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, 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 hard, it's hard to put into words, says the author. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you drew a lot of pictures. They're worth that's a thousand of them. Draw, that's why I had to draw a lot of the pictures. But no, I appreciate you saying that because, you know, sometimes people, you know, the publisher will say, hey, um, you, need to, you need to come up with a really quick way to describe this book and you know using comp titles like so titles that people might be familiar with now um my publisher wasn't so happy when i was introducing hey kiddo to people um if you're familiar with Raina telgemeier's smile it's yeah. like the yeah. preeminent graphic memoir for kids and i would describe hey kiddo as like smile but with heroin 
<laughs> I mean, we call and then it they smack. Get mad at me and I'm like, it's not, no! it's not, it's no, not advocating not. for heroin. It's about it's a heroin addiction that's bad. Um, uh, but but for Sunshine, it is very much like the Breakfast Club meets the fault in the in our stars, where uh, yes. you know you've got this, this this ragtag group of teenagers forced to be together, and then you have this other element of young young people with illnesses. Um, and it's interesting you, you mentioned the camcorder because. We, we we have produced an audiobook for Sunshine. And since there are so many, so many young characters in the book, um, I, you know, I built out a, a audiobook recording studio in my home during the pandemic. And pretty much all of the characters, whether they have two lines or 15 lines, are voiced by actual young people, be they elementary age or high school age. And um, I had to explain to some of them what it felt like to have a camcorder in your face as a young person <laughs> because they didn't understand the specialness of it and that when when someone threw out a camcorder you were kind of awkward because you're like what is this camera for what are we what is this video for and now that's just so ubiquitous in their lives that whatever they do in their everyday life they're going to be recorded that was really interesting because when i went back to watch the old uh VHS tape. Everyone, you put a camcorder in front of anyone, they're like, uh, 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 "Hi, Jerry, what's going? Why, why are you okay? Don't film me. Don't film me." <laughs> and now I'd be like, "Okay, did you get this dance? I'm going to do this dance real quick. I'll do it again. You want me to do a second take?" <laughs> <laughs> Jared J. Krasowska, Sunshine, the book, the graphic memoir, comes out tomorrow, April 18th, at the Academy of Music in Northampton. You can join us live as there will be a performance and a reading of the entire book, multimedia. And each ticket holder gets an autographed copy of Sunshine from this National Book Award winning finalist, author, illustrator of Lunch Lady, and so many other really fun uh, books and graphic novels, etc. Looking forward to tomorrow, JJK. And thanks again for telling your story in print. Well, thank you all for having me. And I look forward to seeing you in person. I am now getting out of my car. And I'm going to get a Papaginos yeah, while I'm here. We've been buzz like, marketing Papaginos this like whole time. The nostalgia of that pizza is very, very real. I miss going to the one on King Street in Northampton. I can't explain why. Is it good pizza? Eh. <laughs> and I'm not going to pay. I'm just like, hey, I read 10 books this month. No, yeah, I, right? I, yeah, Put your book exactly. pin on. Right? Yeah. I'm paying for memories. That's what I'm paying for when I go to Papaginos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, well, thank you both. Thank you both. Speaking of pizza, tomorrow it's Pizza Quest Volume 3. We'll tackle Betty's Pizza Shack in Lenox. And today is Marathon Monday. The first person who ran a marathon keeled over after it was through, so I've never personally been interested in attempting one. And the first woman who ran the Boston Marathon got assaulted on her journey. So, you know, maybe no is what I said. But maybe you've endured some personal marathon experiences. Have you? Text us and tell us one of your proudest physical, mental, emotional and spiritual marathons at 1-800-639-9120 and we'll give you the radio equivalent of a 26.2 sticker for your car. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. It's Marathon Monday. It is. I've grown up in Massachusetts my entire life. Yep. I have had an uncle that's run the Boston Marathon. I have never attended a Boston Marathon nor been interested in attending a Boston Marathon. And if you love running, God love you. That's not either of us, though. No. No. Um, but we thought it'd be fun to talk about our own personal marathons or people that we know that have done personal marathon-esque type 
events. And you so, made me admit that I play video games uh, and don't recognize what time happens. Like yeah. I just get into them and then realize it's dawn and that I've been playing for like 20 hours Yeah, straight. that's like a feat of daring do. It's not real. I mean, like, sure. <laughs> I do, do this fundraising stunt for the Food Bank of Western Mass where I thought it would be fun to push a shopping cart from originally from Northampton to Greenfield, which happens to be just about 26 miles. Yep. And the first year I did it, people were calling me up saying, you will never be able to physically accomplish this. You will never accomplish it in the amount of time that it takes to do it. And uh, I have now done it multiple times and, and even extended extend it over two months. days. Now it's 43 miles. Yeah, so I'm like an ultra marathoner of walking. <laughs> I would it's walk a, the Boston Marathon. I would marathon. walk it. Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't take you like too, too long. If it's only 26.2 miles, it would maybe take you like a quarter of the day. Yeah, it's remarkable now that I drive from Turner's Falls to Springfield every day that that is essentially the equivalent very close to what I walk over the course of those two days. And I'm like, eh, you could walk it. Yeah, I think you could take a pretty good clip. Yeah, if you really if you really needed to. Everything's in walking distance if you have enough time. Says I walk here. Massachusetts-based comedian. It's real nice. Stephen Wright. <laughs> Tomorrow on the Fabulous 413, Farmer's Market season is upon us. The Greenfield Farmer's Market opens this weekend, and we'll talk with Farmer's Market volunteer Trouble Mandison about what to expect at the market and what story she'll be telling as part of Field Notes storytelling event happening at the Academy of Music later this month. And we'll talk with Lauren Singer, a poet and therapist living in Western Mass who is currently working to excavate meaning and embrace the complicated grief following the loss of her son in June of 2021. Has some amazing poetry as she well. Does. I'm excited. Our director is Tony. Wouldn't you like to know weather boy? Done. <laughs> Our engineer is Bart. Where are your parents, Rankin? And our oh, technical team is Betsy Baby Watch 2023 Cordis. Kara Holidays Mean I'm Invisible Foster and Scott Punk Dubay Rude Boy. Who was at the show that you were at the other night? I was. The English Beater, one of my favorite ever. I got to see him when they come to town. Musical thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Apollo Sunshine, Lizzo, Simple Minds, Jonathan Richmond, and Das Racist. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Cleese Smith. Happy Patriots Day, everybody, and we'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.